be here, but it's always good to be in God's house. We appreciate you that are here. We thank God for Sister Pat Mock, who's come and, and worship with us, and my little brother and his wife. Always a privilege, always a privilege to see them. Appreciate them. If I ever need any work done on a machinery, why, well, I know where he's at, see. <laughs> and uh, so I have to I have to repay him. See, he deals in the material, I deal in the spiritual. <laughs> okay. I'm going to read three scriptures, just short scriptures. One of them is found in the last chapter of St. Matthew. Remember what I said tonight, I'm going to minister on preparation for the task. Some of these things you've heard, some of it you haven't. So keep your ear tuned. Don't shut me down. All right? Nineteenth chapter, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of it because I don't believe it that way. <laughs> not. I'm going 19th verse, the 28th chapter of St. Matthew. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Notice this one name. Teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Go ye therefore. I you to get a hold of that. Realize what a necessity that is. In the 16th chapter of St. Mark, the 15th verse, simply says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. All right? And we'll turn to the book of Acts. First chapter and the eighth verse. And it says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. Father, we thank you tonight for the commission. Help us to understand it, Father, and help us to realize that it is commission not only given to the apostles and prophets, disciples, but it's commission that reaches even to our day. We realize, Father, without the anointing, we can do nothing. So you must anoint your vessel tonight. But, Father, in order for the congregation to receive, you must anoint them and anoint their ears also. I pray you do that. And in the name of Jesus, we thank you already for being here, and we give you honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. Now Mr. Spurgeon says in his writings, we must not view these scriptures as an option, but as an order. And as not an impossibility, but as a responsibility. To go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, I don't think he intended for all of us to begin planning an ocean trip around the world, but he did want us to understand that placed in the vineyard of God where we are to labor, there is always the command to preach the gospel to every creature. Right. Now, what I want to try to do tonight is to make us aware that there is a great task ahead of us as a church of a living God, and we must understand the preparations for that. 
That task is outlined, of course, in Matthew 16, 15. I read that to you. Also in Matthew 28, 19, and also in Acts. And the commission is still the same. People are different. Individuals have fulfilled their responsibility in ages gone by. I can remember old ministers that have found their calling and vineyard of God, and there they worked and labored in it until God called them home. And, of course, the baton of the bicyprick was passed upon to others, and the gospel is always going forth. There is a challenge, therefore, that we must always understand and always realize it is our responsibility, our responsibility to labor in the vineyard where God has placed us. Right. Notice the Bible says he placed us in the body as it pleased him, the local body of Christ, and there we to labor and go into the pres- out from the presence of God and into the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church of today is charged with an awesome responsibility of getting this message into the hearts of this generation. I can do nothing about the generations that have passed, that have never heard the truth as we know it today. God takes care of those. But we have the responsibility of getting this message, the truth of God, basic fundamental principles of the doctrine of Jesus Christ and the thing God demands out of us. We have that privilege as well as that responsibility to reach this generation, perhaps the last generation. I don't know if you're aware of the generation that is coming up, perhaps the last generation before Jesus comes. Have you ever looked at them and said, well, this generation is going to deliver Jesus from the womb of the sky. What we have coming up, what we are now, perhaps the last generation, and that presents, whether we want to recognize it or not, a definite challenge. And I have to ask us tonight, are we prepared for the task? Do we understand what it really means and the responsibilities we have to reach a lost and dying world? It is easy for us to write people off. It is easy for us to look at teenagers who are, are, are strung out on drugs and alcoholics and, and all of these things and write them off and say they've had their chance and therefore we'll not mess with them anymore. But according to the scriptures, we still have a gospel to present. And according to statistics, one half of our population is 25 years old or less. You see, less than 12% of those are churchgoers. So you see the responsibility we have. That puts the mainstream of our society as having been born during the troublesome, rebellious, pot-smoking, drug-oriented eras of the 1960s. That has produced a troubled generation. That has produced a generation that the church has failed them. All right? Moms and dads have failed them. There are some books on uh, Future Shock by Alvin Toffler and Overload by Leopold Bellick reveals drastic and sudden changes in our society. And they say that premature arrival of the future, things that are upon us that we thought was going to be years away from us, have come upon us and no preparation, nobody's prepared. The church hasn't been prepared mentally or emotionally or spiritually. And this generation is moving fast, and current events is now upon us. Right. Things that none of us thought was going to happen 
in the small community of Hardin County or Pope County has now become a reality. Powers of the enemy with the tentacles stretched out is enveloping lives faster than we can realize. And the world is going down, down, down while the church rests in the sanctity of its piety and saying we're going up, up, up and not realizing we have a responsibility to touch those lives. We have settled ourselves in our visitations and anything that we do with visitations of one another. And we have overlooked the fact that outside here someplace is somebody that needs to at least hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not our place to make them believe it. It is not our place to, to make them come in. But it is our place to at least find some time and find some opportunities to present Jesus in the midst of a lost and dying world. You see, young people find it hard to establish and maintain an identity. In the schools, they find it hard. At their work, they find it hard. In the peer group, they find it hard. And worse than anything else, in the church of God. In other words, it seems like that the churches all over have failed to give the individuals a stabilization program. Something that would stabilize them in a world that is going down. Now that's probably a reason is because the church itself has not found a stabilizing force in God. We are moving and being blown by winds of doctrines and things that come along on us and despondencies and discouragement and it blows us hither yon and people look to us and say, if that's all the greater God is, then I have what I need in drugs or alcohol or whatever. Because that at least gives me temporary relief and remedy. You see, what the world needs is a remedy that is eternal. What the world needs is to look at our life when ill winds blow and recognize we've got a hold of something. We don't intend to go down in the mainstream of corruption. We are going to stand. And the world is looking for that in the church. Now what has produced this generation? Let's look at some of the statistics and we'll be giving quite a bit of it. It shows that 27 minutes a day in communication between husband and wife. You see what the devil has done is robbed us of communication between husband and wife comparing notes, trying to understand and trying to get to the bottom of any problems that might be there. And children spend five to eight hours a day in a godless, atheistic, oriented school that teaches evolution and denies God and all of that, and uh, pot smoking and everything else, and rebellion and disobedience that goes haywire, and they come home with the same attitude right. and the same disposition. They spend uh, godless television, for the most part, babysits our children uh, and our youth from four to seven hours a day. And not too many programs are suited for Christian viewing, let alone the impressionable minds of our youth. I think sometimes if we're going to have it, I think we ought to understand what children ought to watch and what we ought to watch. There are some things that get into our spirit we ought not to watch and it haunts us and hinders our spiritual life. Our minds don't need to be corrupted by the things that go over the airways. We need to understand that we're living in a day and hour when purity by the Holy Spirit is being, dema being demanded. A very small percent of those under 25 have been raised in a godly home and attend Sunday school or church. And then we wonder what's wrong with our generation. 
and we wonder what's wrong with it. And let me say this, a lot of them are not going to attend church. In other words, we are not going to get them in here to get them saved, most likely. I mean, if we're going to touch their lives... It has to be through a life lived under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost and a witness to that life that touches them outside the church and brings them into the house of God. Amen. But that life has to be lived through Christian people. Children have less than 22 minutes a day communication with parents, and that's a shame. I mean, we have allowed the powers of the enemy to grab our time. We have become mere materialistic. We have sought after the almighty dollar and we have not allowed our children any time to communicate with us and then we wonder why they don't understand our godly principles. They're not going to get it all, saints, in Sunday school for 45 minutes and in the house of God for Sunday night and Wednesday night for just a few hours. It's going to have to come from a home that is stabilized, anointed of God, with the Word of God first and foremost in their lives. And live that way. Not just talk that way, but live that way. In other words, we need to allow the Holy Ghost to begin to rule our life. It ought to be a dominant factor in every child of God's life. We ought to raise up in the morning and say, Holy Ghost, what is today? What, what can I do today? Who will you place before me that I might be able to be a witness to? And you'd be surprised. Somebody someplace needs to hear what you have to say. Amen. God is going to place somebody there where you can at least tell them about Jesus or let them see the shining example of Jesus Christ. Meals are rarely eaten together as a family unit. Throw a sandwich on the table. Come on, saints, I'm talking to us. I'm trying to show us what has happened already with a lot of homes that's been broken up and what will continue to happen until we understand what we have to do and our responsibility. Our responsibility is to our children. As said this morning, it's to our grandchildren. It's to our great-grandchildren. It's to our neighbors, friends, brothers, and sisters. That responsibility is to go you and preach the gospel. Amen. It doesn't all come from the pulpit. It has to come from wherever God makes a pulpit for us. Amen. That pulpit could be any place. It could be in a nursing home. It could be perhaps driving. It could be in our workplace. It could be almost any place where God makes a pulpit. Amen. Also, we have to understand that those are times, and it's always was. I, I look back when I was growing up, there was nine of us kids uh, that, that lived fully. And I look back over the times when mom wouldn't dare begin a meal unless everybody was sitting down there. She just wouldn't do it. Because with that many kids, all of us running here and there and someplace else, if there was any time that we was going to discuss the happenings of the day and realization of what is happening, or maybe one of us wanted to say something and the rest of, to mom and dad, and they needed to hear, that was the only time that we had uh, to express our views. I wouldn't give anything in the world to be able to sit down with 
We sometimes had to fight to see who's going to get the chair or who's going to get the bench. God, Dad had to make a bench, and some uh, some of the smaller would smaller ones would stand up. And I got so big that I dripped gravy down my vest or whatever I had on, so I got to get I got, got to eat <laughs> sitting down. But that was a time of refreshing, and a time when Mom and Dad came together, and a time when they asked a blessing. Upon the food, regardless whether it was water gravy or whatever it was, they appreciated God for that. And a lot of times we sit down today, and if we murmur anything, it's a short prayer, it means nothing. And some homes begin to eat their meals that God has allowed them to have good things, and they never, never, never say a prayer about it at all. And you can rehash some of the things, share some of the things of people that love you and children of the house. You see, we're failing to touch the palate of our children. That's what it means when it says, uh, teach them or train them. You touch the palate of your children. In other words, you put it there. Have you ever seen mothers? Whenever a child wouldn't want to swallow something and they stick their finger there and touch that palate and you immediately gulp it down. That's what the church needs to do. That's where we're standing. You see, and because of the tension brought on by this age, the period, this period of time, now listen to this, six to nine hours sleeping time, only 29 minutes and 13 seconds or 32 seconds does the mind rest. The body is laying down there. Do you ever wonder why you get up in the morning? just frazzled and just weary, it's because your mind has not been able to rest. Your body is laying there six to eight hours, but your mind just rests 29 minutes and 32 seconds. And they have understood that. And this causes frazzled nerves. This causes individuals to not feel good and all that. What I'm trying to say, saints, is that when we lay down on our bed at night, let's ask God to come in and give us some peace of mind so we raise up the next morning knowing that our mind has rested secure in Jesus Christ. We need never fail to understand that God is mindful of us. He knows where we're at. He understands that we're in an insecure world and He wants to secure us. He knows and understands that we are in a sinful world and He wants to keep us untainted from that sin. He wants us to understand we're in a world that is hopeless and He's given us hope. He wants us to understand there's a world living in death and He's giving us life. And He's giving us this to pass on to somebody else that they might have and know and feel what we know and feel. Can you say amen? Give God honor and glory tonight. Hallelujah. Home life is shattered. The husband, head in the house, is always pictured as a meek and mousy Dagwood type individual with very little uh, mental reasoning and no backbone just to be bossed around by both his wife and children. Look at some of your cartoons and look at some of your programs and look at little Bart Simpson that a lot of you let your kids watch. A little smart-mouthed individual that nobody ever, ever watched that rules his parents. And look at some of the things uh, that they push off on television and we allow our children there sitting there watching that. No wonder disobedience is rampant. No wonder we don't understand what's happening. We put them right in the lap of the enemy. Come on, man. Amen. 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 
Because we don't want to take any time. Satan has taken our time. Satan is continuing to take our time. But we are living in a day and hour when Jesus is going to come. And I think we need to understand that we are going to be held responsible for lives that could have been reached, but wasn't. God is not going to just pat you on your little head and say, I understand it because of this, that, and something else. He's going to say, I left a commission to the entire church to go and preach the gospel. Uh, you just can't look and say, now God... I don't want that commission. If God has called us, had laid it on us, then that is a commission that we need to understand. It's not something we fulfill in the church. We come here to understand it. We come here to feel it. We come here to be lifted up by the Word of God. But we come here to be refreshed and prepared to go out and meet a world that needs the saving grace of Jesus Christ. They need Him, saints. They need Him. They need to feel Him in your life. They need to feel when you shake hands with them. They need to feel in you an empathy for their lives. They don't need you to put them down. They already know where they're at. They need something to get them out of the pit that they're in and let them rejoice in who you have in your life. You see, it doesn't do any good. I, I had individuals when I was out doing things I ought to do and they was telling me all the time you ought not to do these things well I knew that I mean I'd been raised in church and even if I hadn't I knew it was wrong things to do but what I needed and I didn't get was somebody to come along and look me in the eye and grasp me by the hand and say boy I understand where you're at. I know what you're doing is not right. But I want to help lead you out of this calamity and out of this darkness and out of this pit. And I want you to have Jesus Christ in your life. Hallelujah. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. And I've said it often. I'll never forget when I was wrestling around. And I'm going to tell it again because I think it's worthy of to be told. And I was wrestling around down in this world. And I went to church. I was hungry for God. You couldn't tell it by the way I acted. You couldn't tell it by the way I, by the way I spoke. But what I'm trying to say is nobody knows what's going on down in here. Nobody knows the loneliness. Nobody knows the despair. Nobody knows the despondency. And nobody knows how you try to cover it up by, by being a big macho man. I'm telling them I don't care what you think and I don't care which direction that you go. But I went to church and I hadn't been there for quite some time because God always dealt with me. And I didn't know what to do about it. I went to church and I was sitting there. The Spirit of God was moving and it was real. I noticed a lady sitting there by my old Sunday school teacher and had taught me all about God. Told me how they how that she loved God. Told me how that they ought to love God. Told me how we ought to love sinners. How they ought to love sin and all of this. The lady sitting there next to her said, "I'm going to talk to that host school boy." My Sunday school teacher elbowed her and said, "And I heard her, and she was sitting right in front of mom. I heard her say, there's no use talking to him. Just leave him alone.'" He's caused disgrace to his father and caused disgrace to his church and he's going to go to hell. 
all way down inside, I thought, God, maybe she's right. Maybe that's what I deserve. And then I heard Mom raise up to her statue of five foot as best she could and look her in the face and said, No, he's not. I'm not going to let him. Thank God, no, he's not. I'm not going to let him. And thank God for the prayers of Mom and Dad that stayed with me when nobody else seemed to care. They understood a lonely, despairing heart and life that needed somebody to guide them in to the presence of a living God. That needed nobody to condemn him. That needed somebody to embrace him and love him and let him feel the nature of Jesus Christ of Nazareth in their lives. And we're living in a world. I've been there. And we're living in a world that wants that. Now they're not going to tell you. They're not going to do it. And maybe not everybody cares. I'm talking about somebody that's been there. And would have given anything in the world. If I would have knew how to solve my problem. If somebody would have just cared enough. To look and say I don't care what he's done. I don't care where he's been. I don't care what has happened. I still love a soul. I still realize my responsibility to go ye into the, all the world and preach the gospel. Amen. And friend, the church is failing in that. We sit in our hypocritical attitude, our sanctimonious ways, in our piety, and we let the world go to hell while we rejoice and dance and sing and shout. Friend, we need a preparation for the task that is before us. Can you say amen? We need to be prepared to meet a world that is dying. We don't need willy-nilly messages to pat us on the back. We need to pat it on the back, all right, but it needs a little low down. Kind of shake us with a responsibility that still belongs to us. It belonged to Paul, it belonged to Peter, and it belongs to us. It belonged to James and John, and it belongs to us. Jesus told us what we had to do. But the church has lived in its own little world. I started to say about the backbone, it has been some years ago. My wife and I was in a restaurant. There was a husband and wife and two children. And a little girl was being unruly and the father just remained silent. Son began to whine for attention. And the mother remarked, be quiet. I have to raise your father first and then I'll take you of you. Now that's an actual story. And you think that's funny, but that happens most often. What you have, saints, is the individual father's that should be a living example to their children, have placed that upon a mother, and sometimes that's too great for her, and sometimes that brings something in their spirit. And yet they want to rear back and say, bless God on the head of the house. No, you're not. Not unless you follow Jesus, and not unless you know where He's at, and not unless you know how it is. Then your wife will nestle in to your authority. Amen. Amen. Good preaching, Brother Hoskall. All right. Now let's take some time to analyze our society. Financial situation is corrupt and worse than it's been, and I don't know when. You think you have security? <laughs> don't bet on it. You think you're putting up pensions? Don't bet on it. You think you're paying into something that's going to sustain you? Don't bet on it. 
All right, they're already grabbing for everything that they can possibly get. I told my wife, if she's going to get any Social Security, she better just sign up right now. Amen. And get what little she can before it's all gone. Amen. Pension funds, they've already dipped into them. And they're doing something that they've done for a long time. When they see individuals close to a pension, they find some reason to fire them. By the way, they don't have to worry about paying your pensions. They couldn't anyway because they already spent it. Amen. If you're looking for all of these things, take advantage of it while it's there if you can. But don't depend on that. Realize this. The Lord God of Israel is our sword and our shield and our buckler and our stabilizer. And if we can't start depending on Him right now, we'll not be able to do it when that time comes. Energy situation is pathetic. Government leadership is probably as low as it's been in our land. The morals of our society is, is down. Homosexuality, teenage pregnancies, uh, AIDS epidemic that they won't do anything about. Been years ago, anytime tuberculosis come along, they'd be sure that they were someplace where they couldn't infect others. That's because most of the time these were people low on the totem pole. These individuals who have AIDS are filled Hollywood stars and up in government and they're not going to do anything about it. They've unleashed a monster in our society and the only hope we have is the blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that covers our life and covers our hearts. We have to witness in spite of everything that is happening. We have to witness to this generation a product of society that says if it feels good, do it. Dr. Spock's kids. All right? Dr. Spock's kids. And that is in the secular world. But you'd be surprised how many spiritual Dr. Spock's we have. Hey man, pastors and leaders that stand up in the church and say if it feels good, do it. I don't see anything wrong with it. We just heard about that at a conference. That's one of the negative things among the many positive things. But it is a generation that is wanting to do what they want to do. And that creeps not only in secular society, but that creeps into the house of God. Where all we want to do is what we want to do, the way we want to do it, when we want to do it. And God only knows that's not right. God only knows if that's if that's what it was going to be, then He chose me and gave me a job that I don't need. Amen? He just... If you was going to be able to gauge and judge your own life, and not hear about anything, and He chose apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for no good reason at all. Just to get up and spin your little yarn, tell you something good, and some little fairy tale, pat you on the back, say, it's the grace of God, it's the grace of God, it's the grace of God. Am I doing all right? I think the question is, are we prepared for the task? Personally, I don't want to get down on this. I don't want you to feel like I'm unchristianizing you. But personally, I don't feel like we are. All you've got to do is look at the proof. I really don't believe and I've been around places and I haven't found a church that is really prepared for this. 
You can see that by how we're losing the generation. You can see that by how parents condone whatever they want to do. I mean, who's boss anyway? I see, I see a, a, a commercial on television that says one time dinosaurs ruled the earth, but now kids rule the world. Amen. All you got to do is go to school. That's all you got to do. They'll show you immediately who's boss. Amen. All you got to do is go in some home. You won't be there very long until you know who's boss. And we've lost control of the children and of the generation that is going to produce Jesus Christ. Now, in order to start something, we have to start it right. If a contractor, and I'm not a contractor, starts a building a house, and it's only one inch off at the beginning, the results is going to be drastic if it is continued that way. Another is draw two parallel lines, one straight and the other one angles only slightly at the beginning, and the further it progresses, the wider the angle. And then compare this with starting right in the house of God to do the job we're supposed to do and do it right. Ephesians tells us how to do that. 4, 11, and 12. It says God has given apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. And if your Bible has in there a comma, it's not in the original. It says for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the saints' ministry. You understand that? You understand you've got a ministry? You don't just come up here and listen to Brother Robert, Brother Tick, myself, my wife, and, and say, that's the ministry? It is up to them to start you right. You have to have, you must have, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. I talked to somebody this week. And they have ignored apostles. They have ignored prophets. They have ignored teachers, and they have ignored evangelists, and all they have in that church is pastor. And he's trying to do all of this, and it is not working. Why? Because it's completely erroneous in the Word of God. That's what happens when you start wrong. God gave all of these because every one of them had something specific I insert in the house of God. Every one of them had a ministry necessary for the establishment of the house of God. Every one of them had a place. And when we deny them that place, we've started wrong, and the building is going to end up wrong. Amen? Now why are these individuals called? Why does God set them in the church anyway? And He does it to equip the church to reach a generation such as the world has never seen. Amen. You've seen generations come and go. Yes. Oh, yes. I thought mine was in trouble. And it was to an extent. But never, never in my experience, never in my ministry, have I saw a generation so lost and so undone 
and, and so involved in everything but God. And all the time this is happening, there's the tentacles and the hands reaching out to embrace your children and other children to get them involved in the same thing and bring them down. Oh, God, help us to fill ourselves with the church of God that will reach out and get a lost generation and straighten their lives out and bring them into the house of God rather than to cause those to be entangled with a world that don't care about them. Friend, listen. Teenagers, they'll take you and rob you and use you and throw you aside. I know, I've been there. Hey, man, he makes, the devil makes things look cool. Man makes it look great. How long has it been since you've had an idol who was a minister, a teacher? How long has it been since you could look out and, and pick out somebody that you idolize and say, I'm glad. But rather, do you not pick them from basketball stars and football stars and Hollywood stars? It's wrong. I want to say it again, it's wrong. We have an idol, a hero. It ought to come someplace from the house of God. Amen. And we ought to teach them that. And there's a lot of things they oughtn't even be dabbling in. A lot of things in the iron fist of mom and dad ought to come down and say, No, sir, that's not going to happen as long as you're under my roof. Well, we're going to love them in. I've heard that so much I get sick of it. We're going to love them in. Well, if you love them, You'll do something to keep them out of the fire. Amen. Amen. If you're going to love them, then do something to salvage them. I think that's the problem. I have problems sometimes. I'll talk about my own. I want to give them something we didn't have. I said, okay, that's fine. Give them some material things that you didn't have. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't leave off some of the spiritual things you did have. They know how they was raised. They know some of the things they're doing is wrong. They know they didn't do it as long as I had any control of them at all. And I don't forget to tell them about it. Every chance I get. And I don't care if they can furnish their children things that I couldn't furnish mine. I don't care. But I do care when they start leaving off the principles of spiritual things in their life and raise their children that way till they don't even know God and know how to seek Him. I do care. Right. Amen. Because they wasn't espoused that way. Let's look at this generation. Premarital sex. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Somebody said, well, I trust my child. Don't do it. Don't do it enough to let them get out. Know where they're at. Know who they're at with. And know what's happening. Amen. You have to do it. Whose fault is it? Most of the time, it's a messed up household. Trial marriages, a sacred institution... Had they just taken and said, we'll just try it if it don't work. Why, then we've lost nothing. Yes, you have. You've lost everything. You've lost the sanctity of marriage in your life. You don't understand what you've done. Amen. 
a lifestyle that you go to a counselor and he'll tell you it's the end thing. That's the thing to do. Don't you get married until you find out whether you can live together or not. That comes from high up counselors that many times our children are sent to. Friend, if there's any counseling in that area, mom and dad ought to be strong enough to do it. Hear me? You ought to be strong enough to do it. You need to tell them what's right and you need to tell them what's wrong. And even when they don't do it, still tell them anyway. Don't ever let them get to the place that you can't tell them what they're doing is wrong. One of these days it might lodge. Out of wedlock babies, an epidemic raging more than ever before in history. This comes from young people who think they know everything. Get caught up. Oh, I know how to handle myself. Mm-hmm. We just had a granddaughter that told us that. Mm-hmm. I know how to handle myself. She did all right. She ended up pregnant and with a child. Yeah, she knew how to handle herself. She just needed some good old-fashioned uh, movement of the Holy Ghost in her home. That's what she needed, but she didn't have it. Right. Mom and Dad might look at her and say, Well, you're paying, but no, they're paying. Their pain. I don't understand it. And I, I, like I said, I'm going to talk about my own family. And uh, you, just, you just identify with yours, all right? Because I'm not standing up here by myself. Okay? I'm not standing up here by myself. I listened to an ex-son-in-law of mine say, I'm happier now than I've ever been. I looked at him and said, How in the world, David, can you say that? When you're not uh, ministering the gospel like you was called to do, you're divorced and you're living in adultery and you're trying to tell me you're happier than you've ever been. I said, I don't believe it. I think inside there's something inside that gnaws at that individual. And instead of confessing and coming to God and letting Him heal that soul and that body, they run, run, run. He still gets invite, advice from Dad. Yes. He still gets advice from Mom. Yes. He's still told what he should have done and where his life went awry at. And so does our daughter. Yes. Yes. I pray God that their life works out and they get back to God. I pray that. There's always going to be life of children that is hurt. Life of children that will never understand and have that feeling inside that they really just didn't care. Who was this? What was happening? Mom and dad reaching out for self-satisfaction. Wasn't prepared. Didn't care. A ministry went down the drain. A family life was destroyed. And God only knows where it's going to end up at next. God does. Birth control pills given to 14-year-olds by health centers without parental approval. Society says it's just fine. Psychology wouldn't be so popular instead of telling man that it's all right in doing whatever makes him feel good to it. They would tell man to face himself that he is really without God and nothing Nothing, nothing man is when he's without God. Nothing. Drugs in grade school, as well as high school and college. 
Do you understand what's going on here? Oh, it's just kids on drugs. Do you understand really what's going on? Do you understand what I said? That this is probably the generation that is going to usher in Jesus Christ. And the devil has tried to destroy in the infancy their minds. And the body tissues are being destroyed by drugs. And the health of this generation is being destroyed. The one that's going to bring the kingdom of God into reality. Saints, we need a healing of mind and soul and body of lives. And we need to make this generation understand that they are living on the verge of one of the greatest demonstrations of power that the world has ever seen or ever will. Friend, it's on the horizon. And God is searching frantically for somebody somewhere to understand that they have a responsibility and a task before them. And is willing to say, God, I'll lay everything down. I just want you in my life. Tell me, God, what my responsibility to this generation is. Where do I individually fit in? God has fit you in somewhere. In your walk of life, wherever you're at or whatever you're doing, is your field of ministry. You have responsibility for lives that will never, never hardly hear a message from a pulpit until you bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Are we prepared for this? You see, you see this happening. Young men, women, whole life ahead of them dying of AIDS. Sometimes just one little intercourse of a time. One little fling. And the virus enters in. They begin to die. It's claimed lives of young men that could have been tall statues for Jesus. And young women. It has destroyed their life. And it's running unchecked and rampant. But saints, these individuals have a soul. Have we forgotten that they have a soul? Can we look at that alcoholic there that is vomit running down him and all that foul language inside of him? Can we look past that and look inside and say he has a soul that ought to be reached? Can I reach it? Can we look at that lady that's a prostitute and God only knows what made him that way and look inside and say, I don't know what makes this, but inside is a soul that needs Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Can we get past our self-righteousness and look inside and see something that needs to be changed? This generation of drug addicts or parenting children a lot of them coming into this world disfigured mentally deficient many of them even too hideous for the parents to look at them they're freaks well, I wonder if we can look past I don't know if you've ever seen a product of that or not but I have 
I wonder if we can look past that grotesque figure and look inside and say, but they have a soul. Somebody needs to reach them. Somebody needs to care. Somebody needs to understand. Abortions, guilt, after the deed is done, and society leads, leaves them alone to face themselves and God. I have counseled with young ladies who have had abortions and you just can't imagine the heart-wrenching story of guilt inside. As they come and say, but I've killed my baby. I've destroyed a life. And they didn't tell me what was going on. They didn't tell me what was happening. And I've destroyed a life. God can never forgive me for that. And you have to reach inside of that soul and realize there is a young lady that's been led astray. The powers of hell have convinced her that that child would be in the way. And she didn't want it. And nobody told her. Counselors go to the abortion clinics. They don't tell you the guilt that you're going to face and go through. And young mothers have killed themselves after this. It's the easy thing in the world for the church said in its past can pass condition say well they ought to know better but they didn't a lot of them didn't they didn't know better they have a soul they have a soul test two, two babies what's that going to bring what's their genetic background God only knows where this is going to lead but they have a soul the organ of one society and culture transplanted into the body of another one and God only knows what that's going to bring Freak cults, man-made religions on the increase. Mental disorders, mental and physical breakdown because of the satanic attack on the mind. And yet Jesus stands up in the midst of all of this, offering us a message that you could preach anywhere. Jesus stands up in the midst of this and said, My peace, peace, my peace I give unto you. Not the peace that the world gives. But my peace I give to you. Jesus with his beckoning hands and his blood uh, bought salvation. His beckoning to life. And he has placed that responsibility upon us to some way convince lost and dying souls that God can give them peace regardless of what they've ever done. How the paths they've ever walked. They can find peace in Jesus. But society says, don't accept this peace. This is a type of society that the church has to be prepared to deal with. I have a question to ask us. Can we do that? Are you, have we been doing it and can we do it? You see, in order to do it, we have to get out our back door. We have to get out of ourselves and all the woe and trials and tribulations that the world places upon us and realize that those things are in the world and it, it, but we're not of the world and there's souls out there with the same problems and they don't have God and you do. Somebody say Amen. Let's look 
I'm going to get on in about an hour. Hang on. Let's look between the relationship of preparation and accomplishments. Let's compare planning a career in the secular world. What do you do when you do that? You just look up and say, I'm going to be a doctor and just immediately you get your license. I'm going to be a teacher and immediately here's your teaching certificate. You know that's not so. And if it's not so in the secular world, it's not so in God's world. You see, there's schooling, there's studying, there's training. One don't just say, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer and, don't, and go out and buy some law books and rent an office and begin practice. You don't do that. You don't do that at all. No, he goes to school. He studies. He practices. He's tested. Test it. And God is not going to permit His kingdom to be in the hands of men that have been untried. That's right. That's the truth. Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. If you ever wonder about trials and tribulations you're going through, you're in school, saints. You're in school, mom and dad. You're in school, husband, wife. You're learning. David was an example. You ever wonder why God placed him in a situation to uh, fight a lion and a bear and kill him? Because he built his confidence up to meet the giant. What was it he said? Why, I killed a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine don't mean much to me. You see, God starts gentle. He give you a lion and a bear, maybe a puppy dog first. He give you a lion and a bear, and then he give you the giant. Amen. Amen. Why the giant? Because he had to meet Saul. What good was it to him to meet Saul? So he could play the harp in Saul's house. That's the king's house. Why did God want him there? To see the duties and responsibilities of the king? To attend all of the meetings of strategy? Strategy. Strategy. To learn about justice and injustice. To learn about war and peace. To learn to apply the laws of God in the land. You're hearing some teaching on the laws of God and how it pertains to us. We're in school. We need to be learning. You may have to graduate one of these times and there's a great task out there ahead of us. A lot of individuals have run out to meet it. They haven't been prepared and they've been slain by the giant. Amen. You see, if that's what God demanded of David, how can we do less for God and for our generation? We have to know something about the drug addict. We have to know some of the byproducts of drug addicts. We have to learn to understand the mentally retarded. Have to understand the harlot and the prostitute. We have to understand the homosexual, the lesbian, the bisexual. 
We have to understand the alcoholic and on and on the list goes so we can understand them. Not condone what they're doing, not compromise with what they're doing, but understand inside how that man, woman, boy or girl is a soul that's going to meet God sometime and we would like them to meet God blood covered and blood cleansed and the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we have the answer. All locked up for the most part inside here. Because somewhere or somehow we can't see ourselves intertwining our lives with these individuals. The Bible says that Jesus went to touch the life of sinners. Amen. He never forgot the sinner. I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he never forgot me. You see, these are the type of individuals, and I stated before, and I'm finishing up, that we cannot get inside the church. Not until they have been touched by the hand of a child of God that they can feel cares and understands. Maybe you have never underwent it. Maybe it's hard for you if you never have. But it's not impossible for you to understand. But I would be safe in saying for the most part, most of it, most of us know what it's like. To be lonely, despairing, bound hand and foot by a master we neither desire to win. I looked around for somebody to take these cuffs off our hands and take the chains off of our feet and let us find the freedom we never knew existed. And finally, somebody came along. Somebody cared. Somebody invested. And somebody turned the life around. That could have went on and on and on. I would have been in my grave tonight had it not been for praying people that understood and knew that others would have been too. We have to prepare ourselves to go into the highways, to the byways, hedges, and witness to these of the love of Jesus. Jesus did this, but he never once lowered himself. Not one time did he ever stoop to their level. His intentions was, and he carried it out. He lifted them up to his. Hallelujah. He reached down and he lifted up. We need to understand before us is a task that no generation has ever really faced before. 
They've faced a lot of things in past generations. But this sinful world and the powers of evil have handed us a world like they've never been. And it's not going to get any better till the church of God gets on fire and does something to stem this tide of evil. Now you can look at me, at the ministries, you can say, well, good, Brother Hoskall, you do it. But I'm going to say this, if this message doesn't leave this building, it's your responsibility. It's not mine. I have delivered it, and that's my responsibility. If I, if I cowered back, if I didn't deliver it because of hurting somebody's feelings, God could look on me. But it's delivered to us that we might in turn prepare ourselves to deliver it to someone else. I want us to stand tonight. I would to God somewhere, somehow, something has been said to make us be convicted in our life. Not unchristianized, but convicted. Tough enough to make us say in our heart and in our life tonight, God, I'm going to try to weed out all of these thorn bushes and everything that crowds out my life. And I'm going to try to be more prepared so when the opportunity presents itself, I have a chance to say a word. I'm going to say it. You don't preach a sermon 